Ahoy! And welcome to the Jolly Reader. I'm your host, Captain Book. And I'm her first mate. Yay. So, for Halloween and spooky season, we're doing Tales of Mystery and Terror. They're Edgar Allan Poe short stories. So, (laughs) no comments yet. Okay. So, the three stories we're going to do is The Telltale Heart, the cast of... Amontillado. I say cast. It's cask. Cask. It's cask. a cask of ale. Yeah, I know. Okay, will you say it all together? It's the cask of Amontillado. Ooh, and the fall of the house of Usher. So have you read any of these? I, in a past life, have read all of these and have faint memories of them. So Even the fall of, even the, fall of the house of Usher. I've, I've, I've read all of these at some point, but... My memories are very vague, so there's going to be a lot of aha moments and and some interesting insight, I bet, in my new old age. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've read the first two. Well, now I've read all three, but I had never read The Fall of the House of Usher, so I have some insight on that. Okay, things to look forward to. A lot of murder, like a lot. (laughs) Undiagnosed mental illness, which is nothing to laugh about. (laughs) We'll get there. And hopefully, you'll be left with an uneasy feeling like Edgar Allan Poe intended. <laughs> okay, side note, before we get started, when I was reading The Fall of Usher, The House of Usher today, I was like so into it, and the dog started barking for no reason. I literally jumped and then started yelling at them because they scared me. I mean, the puppies knew, puppies have good timing like that, or they just bark so much that eventually they're <laughs> bound to hit you at some point where they're going to get you. Okay, so we're going to start with this. I'm going to just read this. It's the about the author, a.k.a. Edgar Allan Poe. I'm ready. I'm going to read in typical dramatic fashion. A strange world of fantasy is found in the poems and stories of Edgar Allan Poe. This eerie imaginary world was a necessary escape for Poe, for his real life was truly a miserable one. He is born to poor parents in 1809 in Boston, Massachusetts, and was an orphan before he was three. He was taken in by his godfather, John Allen, a wealthy Virginian who gave Poe a fine education in England and America. Then a serious quarrel with his foster father estranged him from his family while still in his teens. From then on, poverty and illness marked Poe's short life. By the age of 21, he had published three books of poems, and in 1833, a short story won $50 in a newspaper contest, which was probably a lot back then, but anyways. His reputation grew, but his writing earned little money. He lived at the time with his aunt, Marie Clem, a poor widow, and in 1835, he married her 13-year-old daughter, Virginia. So he was 23, just so y'all know. Okay, he and Virginia were often ill. Yeah, me too. His misfortunes prey upon him, and he drank heavily. Still, his years were busy not only as a writer, but as an editor and critic as well. His ingenious poems and intriguing short stories make him an unforgettable figure figure in American literature. His poem, The Raven, was on the lips of the entire nation after it appeared in the early 1845. His horror stories still send a tingle through a reader's body today, and his detective stories set a pattern which many other writers would follow. After Poe's wife died in 1847, Poe had what we would now call a nervous breakdown. He died in Baltimore, Maryland in October 1849, just 40 years old. That's a real nice way to say suicide, isn't it? Okay, there's a lot to unpack here, all right. Um, So, he was born poor, so was P.T. Barnum, made the best of the situation. 
you know, ever seen The Greatest Showman? He did a great job. He married a 13-year-old. Really and creepy. Like, like, like a lot of these choices are his choices. I'm just saying, I'm just saying he put himself on that track. And not to mention, like, okay, wait, let's wait, talk. Wait, it's not his well, aunt. The, yeah, that, that it's possible, too. He lived with Aunt and married her 13-year-old daughter to his cousin. Okay, so he made a lot of bad choices here. And not to mention, okay, you have mental health issues and you're broke. Welcome to being a millennial. Snap back. Okay, shall we actually get to the story seven minutes later? I guess. I said to him, oh, this will only take a half hour. It's only uh, it's only seven minutes later if she doesn't edit out enough of my nonsense. So let's start with the telltale heart. My first note says, this dude be crazy. So I said, I know this because he spends the first page telling us he isn't mad even though people think he is. Oh, and he hears things in heaven and hell. So there we go. He randomly decides to murder the guy that he lives with. He rents a room from this guy. And he says he loves the old man and the old guy has never wronged him. He literally just hates this old man's eyeball. Do you remember this at all? Well, now I don't. I mean, I remember like the the, kind of the ending of the story, I guess. But like, is it about his eyeball? One eye is normal and the other resembles the eye of a vulture. (laughs) What an animal to pick. Like, I'm not familiar enough with vulture eyes to be like, oh, yeah, that's a vulture eyed guy. No, he has a crazy eye, okay? Maybe he has some sort of brain issue that makes one eye open more than the other. Okay, okay, okay. So he, it's just he, this guy has no name. He gradually comes up with a plan to kill the old man and rid himself of the evil eye forever. (laughs) So the whole week before the murder, at midnight every night, he would go creep on the old guy sleeping. He would crack the door and stick his head in. He did this super slowly, like it took him an hour just to stick his head in the door. Because he, okay, wait, he didn't want to wake the old man up. And he makes a comment, would a madman been so careful? Yes, yes, a madman would have been that careful. I feel bad for this old guy. I know. I mean, he must just be like really not paying attention. No, he's asleep. Well, I'm just saying. Like, he moves this, so slow. Let's pretend like this is the only creepy thing this guy's doing, okay? <laughs> okay, so anyways. <laughs> so every night, he would use his lantern. This is back in the day, 1800s, and barely open it so only a little light showed, and he would shine the light on the vulture eye. <laughs> For the seven nights, the eye was shut so he couldn't do his work, aka murder this dude. And I said here, ding! I thought he was moving slowly not to wake him, so if he wanted to see the eye, why is he trying to keep the old man sleeping? Yeah, I don't really understand. Maybe I missed... He wants to kill the guy to rid himself of this okay, evil so eye. Okay, so why wouldn't he wait until the eye was closed? Because he loves the old man, so he has to see the evil eye to be encouraged. <laughs> Just, I didn't write it. Let's <sighs> keep going. So for seven mornings, he was bold, and he would get up and talk to the man and ask him how he slept. Because he loved the old man and hated his evil eye, like I stated earlier. My eyes are huge. This dude would have hated me. (laughs) So the eighth night, at midnight, he even more cautiously opened the door to the room. That night, he pretentiously, that's me saying that, not the story. Using a lot of big (laughs) words there. Are we compensating for something? That night, he pretentiously was thinking about how clever he was and how the old man had no idea of his thoughts of murder. So he laughed at his idea. (laughs) So the old man must have heard the smug idiot, also me saying that, not the story, because the old man moved suddenly in bed. So this dude's like, ha ha, I'm so smart. I spent like 10 hours trying to creep in this guy's room just stick my head in. (laughs) Ha ha, I'm so smart. Oh God, he's up. So (laughs) that's what happened. So anyways... 
But the old man, okay, heard him, whatever. So the room is black because it's back in the day. Shutters are shut because the old man's afraid of robbers, whatever. And apparently he can't see the crack in the door. I don't know about all that, but that's just what we're saying. So anyways, Crazy continues to stick his head into the room. And he's just about to open the lantern when his hand slips on the tin. (gasps) The old man sits up in bed and says, who's there? Did he just turn German? French. Or French. By the way... This guy's renting a room out. I mean, I know this is back in the day, but they didn't have locks. Like, mm. if I was living in the house with another dude, I'd be like, yeah, I kind of want to lock on the door. You're a little weird. <laughs> he trusts him, I guess. So anyway, so he's like, who's there? And obviously, he doesn't say anything. So for an entire hour, he just silently stands in the doorway. And the old man just sits in bed listening for whatever made the noise. I don't know. Is the old man blind completely? Probably one eye. Well, maybe in one eye, but he didn't, like, turn his head. It's pitch black. There's no light in the room. So anyways, the old man makes a groaning noise of terror, question mark. And first guy, aka the narrator, knows this noise of groaning of terror well because he's made that noise too at night when he can't sleep and the terror within him takes over. And I say, I don't know. I'm just retelling the story. So he says he knew what the old man was feeling, sitting up in fear for the past hour, and he pitied him. I said- it says you're causing the terror. But I feel like it's like con artists where it's like, oh, I feel sorry for this guy that's about to be broke, but got to make a buck. Maybe. Okay. So then the guy goes on to call him the shadow of death and that the old man could feel it upon him, but he couldn't see his head in the door. I don't know. So then he waits forever for the old man to lay back down and he doesn't. So he decides to open his lantern a little bit more and... A sliver of light shines on the evil vulture eye. It's open this time and it makes him furious. So he also claims he's not mad and he's just he just has sharpened senses. So I said, here comes the classic part of the story that we all remember. So he hears the beating of the old man's heart and the sound increases his fury like the beating drum gives a soldier courage. I'm going to let you take that one, Haas. Okay, so little historical perspective the beating drums are not to give the soldier courage they're to give commands to the units so hey charge into these guys because you're about to die is not the beat that you really want there that oh yeah it's time to go get dinner that might be a beat that you'd be interested in but uh i don't know i don't know what the courage beat is should i marry koku steady as the beating drum no he's dead okay so (laughs) where am i beating drum got it okay where are my notes though Courage. Okay. He keeps standing there with the light on the vulture eye, and the old man heart just keeps beating louder and faster. And then Moise makes him feel uncomfortable terror, and he's worried the old man's heart beating is so loud that the neighbors will hear it, so he goes for it. He jumps into the room, opens his lantern all the way, the old man lets out one yell, so he pulls the old man to the ground, then he covers the old man with the entire mattress and sits on it and suffocates him excessive much like a pillow will do he's an old man too so anyways i said not how i'd murder someone but okay so he waits until he can't hear the old man's heart beating anymore he removes the mattress and confirms that the old man is now a corpse and the evil eye won't bother him anymore and here's a quote from the book if you're still thinking that i'm mad you will not think so anymore not when i describe the wise precautions i took to conceal the body Okay, I think there's a difference here between mad and intelligent. Serial killers exist. They're not stupid. Okay, so he pries up three floorboards and places the body under them in the space between the floor and the lower level of the house. Do we need a lesson on decomposing? Also, that would like seep through the ceiling of the lower level. Am I wrong? I mean, yeah, eventually. It's a bad idea. 
Yeah, I mean, it's going to smell like horrible, too. Like death, as the phrase goes. So, anyways, he makes the bed and cleans up, whatever, whatever. Then he hears a knock at the door. It's morning now. Thank you. He cheerfully goes to answer the door because he has nothing to fear now. It's three police officers. <laughs> Apparently, a neighbor heard a shriek in the night and suspected foul play, so they walked in the morning down there and reported it. That's a ride-or-die neighbor. That is a ride-or-die neighbor, but, like, I mean, yeah. Why were they expect- expecting or suspecting foul play? Well, you just hear screams in the middle of the One night. One scream. Okay, just we'll get there. So the officers are there to search the residence. Wow, that escalated quickly. She was like, hey, we're going to search. Okay, so he... <laughs> Let's remember that there are very few, like, human rights laws here, you know, or, or, or crime yeah. laws and stuff. You know, we're talking about the uh, early days of our nation. Okay, so he tells the police that the shriek was just him having a nightmare and nothing for neighbors to be nosy about, basically. And he shows them around the house and he tells them that the old man's on a vacation and shows them, like, the old man things are, like, undisturbed, like, nothing's been stolen, his bed's made, whatever. Then he brings chairs into the old man's room, which, by the way, this is where the body's hidden, and tells the officers to rest after their labor. And I have question mark, what labor? They walked around a house. Anyways... Smug and all that, the dude puts his chair directly over the old man's body. After a while of chatting, the guy was ready for the police to leave because he's tired and hears a ringing in his ears. He also didn't sleep all night, but whatever. So the police keep on chatting and the guy is getting more agitated and the ringing gets louder. And he keeps talking louder and faster because he recognizes the ringing is the heartbeat. So anyways, the officers don't seem to hear anything, obviously, and he starts arguing about an unimportant matter to try to cover up the sound of the beating heart, and he keeps screaming and throwing his arms around, but the sound keeps getting louder, so he's just screaming about, like, something random, like, I hate trick-or-treating, you know why I hate trick-or-treating? Not sure if they had trick-or-treating back then, Maria, it would have been a long trek from house to house. Anyway, so he's screaming, and he starts dragging his chair across the floorboards to, like, get rid of the sound, and the sound grows louder. Even in crime and mystery back in the day, the police can't do their job. Where's Stevie when you need her? I know, right? So still the officers are chatting politely and smiling, and the guy's like, how can they not hear this? And he thinks, oh, they must hear it, and they're just making a mockery of me, because that's logical. And, and then he says, one thing besides the evil eye he can't stand is mockery. Huzzah. Yeah. They hit both of his triggers in one <laughs> night. That's a rough day for this guy. So he felt like he had to scream or die. So he's going to choose screaming. <laughs> so he yells at the officer, villains, do not pretend anymore. Do not mock me. And then he tears up the floorboards and tells them everything that happens. And he says, here, here it is. Here is the beating of his hideous heart. That's how the story ends. And that's a story about how not to get away with murder. <laughs> so um, before we get to lingering questions, I'm going to let you read this because I Googled it. So this is a podcaster's diagnosis with the help of Google. Misophonia is a disorder in which certain sounds trigger emotional and physiological responses that some might perceive as unreasonable given the circumstance. Those who have misophonia might describe it when a sound drives you crazy. Their reactions can range from anger and annoyance to panic and the need to flee. That's like kind of what I thought maybe he had because he clearly there's something. So do you have any lingering questions or I don't I just left it open. I don't know. I mean, Link. You don't have to. The guy, the guy is mad. I mean, there's, there's something going on there. You know, mental health was not a, uh, not something that we really dealt with back then. They just kind of, yeah, they just sent you off to the, uh, 
crazy house and pinned you down until you breathed your last breath, and that was kind of it. The cask of Amontillado. I can't say that word, so I'm just not going to. She doesn't have the uh, the it's linguistic. English. She doesn't have the linguistic skills for the Romance languages. Okay, so I can't even say his name. I call him Monty enough. Montresor. He will be known as Monty because I don't hate myself. He's our narrator. His quote-unquote friend slash rival is Fortunato, which I can actually say. Actually, I believe it's Fortunato. There's not a there's not a ch in that. Your Midwest is showing. I'm going to call him Fortunato because <laughs> I won't survive and this will take a million hours. He is who I say he is. So we got Monty and we got Fort, okay? <laughs> or NATO, if you prefer. They're not from the Midwest. They're rich Italians of noble descent. Forty apparently insults Monty. And we never know what he actually says. But this throws Monty over the edge. They've been rivals their whole life. Whatever. So Monty's ready for some revenge. So like the last story, Monty keeps his plan to himself and is nice to 40. He felt like he wouldn't be avenged if he also suffered by getting caught. But also he wanted 40 to know that this was payback for the rude insult. Makes sense. So generally, 40 was respected and even feared, but his weak point was his pride and knowledge in fine wines. Monty is similar in this way. I don't. Just, okay. He keeps all his wine in a secluded vault in a cellar of his home. It's carnival season and everyone is celebrating before the six-week fast that ends at Easter. They, these Italians, they know what's up. They take their religion seriously. There's nothing wrong with that. Cross yourself. They're really close to the Pope. He might come visit. Their son and holy ghost. <laughs> okay. So the carnival gets wild, apparently. And Monty finds 40 in costume. Forty is dressed as a jester with jingle bell hat and all. There's pictures if you want to see. Sounds like the life of the party. So Forty has also been drinking all day. And Monty goes up to him. He's like, oh my God, dude, I just bought this cask and fancy sherry wine. Say it. Amontillado. From Spain. And I'm going to call it wine from now on. But I think I got ripped off and it's fake. But I paid for it anyways. I couldn't find you, Forty. And I know you're an expert in these things. Okay, so Monty is using 40's superiority in wine lover or whatever to trick him to death. Well, that's really unfortunate, but when did Monty become a valley girl? <laughs> Did <laughs> Just wait. So Monty's like, you're busy. I'll just go ask this other guy's name I can't pronounce that I will call lunch meat. <laughs> you say it. I think it's Lucchese. He's only brought up like two times. So anyways, luncheon. Italian listeners, I am so sorry. <laughs> I'm Italian. My mom is half Italian and I suck. Okay. Mom, I'm sorry. <laughs> so Forty is like, nah, bro. I'm the best. Let's go look at this wine. So Monty keeps protesting, but no, we shouldn't go. And Forty's like, I insist. I'm better than lunch meat. So then <laughs> they get to Monty's house. This is so typical, like army life right here. You're going to laugh. So all the sar- servants, like all Monty servants are out partying at Carnival. He told them he would be gone all night and he gave them strict orders not to leave because he knew, of course, they would like dip out immediately. I mean, that's true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, I, I, was, I was in the army. As soon as, as, soon as the cat's away, the rats will. <laughs> and by play, I mean, get the heck out of there. So Monty and Forty enter the wine vaults. It's deep and dark and very extensive. It's damp down there and filled with tombs of Monty's ancestors. And Fort 40, Forty is coughing. <laughs> this comes around a lot because Monty's like, oh, you're cough. We should go back. Like, I don't want you getting sick because it's so damp down here. So then 
Forty's like, no, I gotta look at this wine. And at one point, Forty's like, the cough is nothing. I will not die from it. And Monty's like, true. True, man. <laughs> it's a power move. It <laughs> is a power move. This is weird. So Monty's like, a few sips of, sips of wine, like just random wine, will protect us from the dampness. I mean, alcohol does kill germs. If you drink it, it might kill some germs in your body. I don't know. The dampness? Okay, anyways. Well, it's mold. They're worried about mold. Oh, <laughs> wow. Okay, that went over my head. So Forty drains the whole bottle pretty quickly. It's like the episode in The Office where they party at Robert California's house. <laughs> yeah, okay. So Forty's like, to your ancestors, Monty. And Monty's like, to your long life, friend. Hashtag double power move. <laughs> I know. So they start talking about Monty's family crest. It's a huge human foot crushing a serpent whose fangs are embedded in the heel. And the motto in Italian, but translated for the book, is let him who would offend me beware. And I said, I'm sure there's a Game of Thrones joke in here somewhere. Monty sends his regards. So (laughs) a Monty always keeps his promises. (laughs) Okay, they keep going deeper and deeper and end up in this burial, burial room. And there's human remains everywhere. And I said, some burial room this is. Like, you actually have to bury them. There's literally just bones and piles places. Technically speaking, burial just means it's underground. It doesn't have to be pretty. So there's an alcove. It's a space between pillars supporting the roof, apparently. And there's like a chain with wrist locks on either end. But Forty can't see it because it's so freaking dark in the 1800s and no one can see anything. And Monty's like... It's in here, this weird wine I bought that Maria can't pronounce. And Forty's so drunk, it's easy for Monty to chain him up. So his wrists are locked in chains that go through loops on the wall and then like around his waist. So Monty's like, once more, I must implore you to return. No, fine, then I have to leave you. Like, wow. So Forty's like confused. He's like, but the wine. And Monty's like, true. That's all he says. And then Monty's like digging through the bones to get building stones and cement he hid earlier. And he hid a trowel trowel in his jacket. And Monty puts down the first layer of stones and Fortunato's drunkenness is starting to wear off. And he moans. And then there's like long stubborn silence while Monty lays layers two through four. And then this is very detailed. So then Fortunato starts clanking his chains furiously and Monty stops working to listen with satisfaction. You must have really felt wrong by this guy. For an insult. But that's their family crest. So so anyways, when the clanking stops, Monty continues to build layers five through seven. Then Monty stops. This is starting to be a Stevie book. Monty stopped to look at Fortunato. Whatever his name is. Whatever. And oh, what? Oh, okay. Sorry. I forgot about this part. So Monty's like looking at him and Forty starts screaming like nonstop. And at first Monty's like worried. He's like, oh, what if someone hears me burying this guy alive? And then they're like, he's like, oh, we're like way too deep. No one's going to hear him. So he starts screaming back at him until he stops. Like Monty just yells over him. So then he finishes layers eight. That's how you assert dominance. (laughs) No. So then he finishes layers 8 through 10 and most of 11. And then there's one square opening left. And Monty hears a laugh from inside the wall. And Forty's like, haha, very good joke. We'll have many a rich laugh uh, about this over our wine. Uh, Like, definitely a clever way to try to, like, save yourself. Like, Yeah, you gave him a chance to back out. Yep. And Monty says, whatever the wine is. The Amontillado. And Forty's like, yes, but it's getting late. My wife and others will be looking for me, so let's be gone. And Monty's like, yes, let's be gone. 
he's frightening. Put the lotion on the skin. So then Forty cries out, for the love of God, Monty. And Monty just says, yes, for the love of God, dude. <laughs> so then Monty just waits for a reply and nothing comes. So he calls out to Forty and still no answer. So Monty pushes one of the torches through the hole in the opening and like lets it fall to the ground. And all Monty heard was a jingling of bells of Forty's hat. And Monty feels sick, but blames it on the dampness of the catacomb. He plasters up the last stone into position. For half a century, no one has found Forty. Let him rest in peace. Lingering questions is all yours. Uh, Monty always pays his debts. <laughs> that's that's all that's all there is to it. I mean, I mean, a little excessive, a little little excesses from for my, for my he taste. He should have backed out. He he had a chance, but yeah, I mean, back then it's like, what are you gonna do? Pull up security camera footage. Yeah, I know. You can show him the little marks on your arms. Dude was drunk. Yeah. He wandered down there. I went down there and saved him. Forensics don't exist yet. The fall of the House of Usher, which I had never read, and you say you don't remember. I don't remember much of it. I just remember reading it as a kid. Spoiler alert, there's a house in it. No. <laughs> Next, you're going to tell me there's someone named Usher, Ursh- and not the cool it's one. It's pronounced Usher. <laughs> So, as my first note says, this is a weird one. So, the main character, who has no name, which is really annoying because I just have to say he the whole time. Anyways, he's traveling to the house of Usher, who's the home of Rod Rodrick. Is the house of Usher a person? <laughs> no, it's he lives there. Rodrick Usher lives in the house of Usher. Okay, so- they were childhood friends, but they haven't seen each other in years. Rodrick. Rodrick. <laughs> he wrote... A long letter telling him, being our main character, of a serious illness and mental disturbance that had taken a hold of him. He describes the main character as his best, oldest, and only friend and hoped that he would come visit. So our main guy's like, sure. I mean, that makes sense. So anyways, our main guy goes and sees him and he explains that he doesn't know much about Roderick because he's a keep to himself kind of person, but his family was famous and artistic and like well-known blah blah everyone's rich we know so he gets to the house of usher and it's a pretty it's pretty bummer looking building and there's swamped around it that's what i put it's a bummer looking building and there's a swamp around it so just there you go the house looks like it's surrounded in a strange cloud of mystic fog there's a zigzag crack from the roof going down the walls to the foundation this is like all on the outside obviously he gets to the house and he passes a family physician like when he's inside who looks at him strangely and seems evil i i don't know how does one seem evil you've lived with me for many a year you lived with waffles anyways He goes into the room to see Roderick, and he says he barely recognizes his friends, friend, singular, because of how much he's changed over the years. Roderick explains his illness and says it runs in his family, a nervous ailment with many strange and contradictory... Contradictory. (laughs) Symptoms, but no cure. His body is extremely sensitive. Okay, so like he explains this, he's like... I only eat the blandest foods. I can only listen to the blandest music. I gotta just, like, I have to have super soft clothes or I get irritated. Okay, so anyways. He's also plagued with strange terrors. That's called intrusive thoughts, buddy. (laughs) That makes sense. You ain't special. (laughs) So this dude, he fears he will lose his life and reason to, like, all together in some uncanny struggle with a grim fantasy. I know the fantasy to be fear, he says. I know that seems like a lot of nonsense, but it comes to fruition. But how? We will see. Roderick is also 
super sick of the mansion. He must be tough. (laughs) He says that it's gloomy smoke from the swamps is affecting his spirit, his aura, probably. Then he explains that his sister, Madeline, she also has an illness. She's his sole companion, and they're the last of the ushers. Madeline enters through one door at the far end of the room, then disappears through another without even noticing the guys. It's weird. So anyways, Roderick Roderick, explains, Rick Roll, that (laughs) Madeline's illness is puzzling to her physicians. She has lost interest in everything and stares unmoving for hours. That's called depression. Anyways. It makes you wonder, like, on a real note, like, whether these were things that Poe actually, like, experienced. And he, like, didn't have another outlet besides the way that he wrote. I'm sure. I'm sure. I agree. Oh, we got to be serious. Okay. Back to the silly willies. So the next day, Roderick's playing music and they read together with the main guy or whatever he paints. And Roderick talks about the atmosphere from the swamp that presses on him and has molded him and his family for years. It could just be the mold in the house. <laughs> I know, right? So days pass and Roderick informs this main dude that the sister has passed away super random so rod they're all living in this house you just like didn't notice so anyways roderick is worried that the physicians will be curious of her illness and disturb her body like do an autopsy so roderick wants to hide it for two weeks why for two weeks couldn't tell you so maybe it'll like decompose enough that they won't mess with it anyways so the guys take madeline's body and put it in a coffin and then they carry it to the vault in the foundation of the walls of the mansion I don't know. In ancient times, it served as a dungeon. Trolls in the dungeon. <laughs> Just thought you ought to know. So Roderick mentions that him and Madeline were twins, and they always had a strange understanding between them that could not be explained. That's like super true about twins. Anyways, my mom's a twin. So they fasten the vault door and go upstairs. It's right beneath the main character's room he's staying in, so that's convenient. So the day passes, and... The main character says that Roderick seems to struggle for the courage to confide in him a terrible secret, and other times he seems to be listening for some imaginary sound. Then our main character felt like the feeling was growing upon him as well, gradually. A week after Madeline's death, or Madeline, sorry, was placed in the dungeon, I guess that would be the day of her death, it was storming and he could not sleep. He starts pacing the room and Roderick, like, randomly comes in there. Roderick throws open the window and is like... You have not seen it, but you shall. He's like talking about the smoke and stuff. The storm is furious outside and the main guy is like, okay, we're going to shut this window now. And he picks up the nearest book and he's like, I'll just read us through this stormy night. So the story is about this old adventurer. Ethelred. I call him Red the rest of the time in my notes. So Red arrives at a hermit's door and strikes the sword on wooden planks and as the main character finishes reading the sentence, he hears the exact sound like someone cracking and ripping wood in the house. So then he keeps reading and inside the house, in the story, Red finds a dragon and cuts his head off and the beast gives a shriek. Then Roderick and main guy or whatever in the main house hear a cry in the distance of the home. He keeps reading. Red pulls the dragon's body out of the way. There's a brass shield that falls at his feet onto a silver floor making a terrible ringing sound then they hear a metallic sound and he leaps to his feet like the main character reading is like oh my god so the sounds are lining up to what he's reading in the yeah 
Yeah, that freaked me out too. This is when the dog started barking. Okay, so Roderick began speaking and he says, I've heard it for long and many minutes, hours, and days, yet I've dared not speak. We put her living in the tomb. Wait, what? Come on. It's not a bring out your dead situation. Like, there's only like one person here. He put her in there, alive. Buried her alive. I have, I've told you how sensitive I've come in my illness. Like, basically, he's a hypochondriac is what I'm getting from that. So then he goes, I heard her first movements in the coffin, yet I dare not speak. She will be here soon to punish me. I tell you that she now stands outside the door. Then Madeline bursts in the room, and she throws herself violently at her brother and drags him to the floor, and he dies. I couldn't get out of that fast enough. Nope. Nope. I'm running. Okay, so he does. Main character, in fear, runs outside the house. He sees the crack in the house from when he first arrived, like from the roof down, and there's a fierce gust of wind, and the house begins toppling down, and that was the fall of the House of Usher. Whew! So, I want to do my theory before we do lingering questions. So, one of my theories is that Roderick and Madeline are actually like two halves of one person. Like Like a multiple personality disorder? Yes. And then... Also, like, the family is, like, connected or possessed by the house. Because he talks about how the house, like, and the gloop and stuff, like, like whatever, the smoke, like... Does anything happen to the house after they die, or is it just still there? Did you miss this part? Oh, the house began toppling down. The oh. house falls down. It's gone. <laughs> really? Missed that part. I was too concerned with the fact that, like, a semi-dead person just came in and... She's been down there a week. I mean, I'd be mad, too. It's a lingering question. This one really, I did like, I don't know how yeah, he thought I, about this I, one. I don't know. There's not really, like, that's kind of the thing about Poe's writings is they're pretty clean cut at the end. Like, the guy's dead or he's not dead. Except for, and he's like, usually it's, dead. It's not that clean cut, though, because it's like, so why did he even bury her alive? I thought because he's like a hypochondriac, like thinking he was going to catch whatever she had. Yeah, that's possible. I don't know. I like your personal, person, eh, multiple personality order thing disorder multiple personality disorder thing because it could be like how we like bury our like evil side down or whatever and then it comes back she might not be evil he might be the evil side what do you know i don't know okay i'm gonna let you read this because you're all like serious or whatever this is since we talked a lot about mental health i wanted to throw this at the end this is for like u.s people sorry it's what i found but it's a mental health resource all right so we have the SAMHSA, which is the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. They can be reached at 1-800-662-HELP or 1-800-662-4357. It's a treatment referral routing service that's open 24-7. There are trained information specialists that answer calls, transfer callers to state services or other appropriate intake centers in their states, and connect them with local assistance and support. So I know we like joked around a lot about mental health, but like fun fact about me, I'm diagnosed with anxiety, depression, and OCD. So it's not a joke, but we got to laugh about it so we don't cry. <laughs> but like, yeah, I don't know. What do you want to say about mental health? Because this was like really eye opening. As a kid, I was like, well, these people are crazy and this is spooky. And as an adult, I'm like, this is mental health issues. Yeah, I think it's really amazing how how much more recent generations have really made mental health something that's at the forefront and really important and something that's not not something that you should have to hide. I'm really glad that there are a lot of platforms and a lot of resources out there for people that are struggling because life can be hard sometimes. Yeah. So all in all, we love our listeners. And if you are struggling, 
reach out to a professional. So I'll do our closing. I hope you enjoyed our spooky Halloween episode, and I hope you have a safe, fun Halloween if you're celebrating. We will be going as Pokemon. Allie will be Pikachu. I will be Ash Ketchum. And Josh will be... Snorlax. So there you go. So in closing, thanks for listening. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and now YouTube at the Jolly Reader Podcast. Subscribe so you get notifications for when new episodes are posted. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review because it helps other roommates find this podcast. Share, 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 and share, 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 share. If you like secondhand embarrassment, stay tuned for the outtake. And I'll talk to you next time for I don't know what because I haven't picked the next book yet. And would you like to say the end with me? Sure. Until we sail again, this has been the Jolly Reader. Bon voyage! Hey, you made it to the outtakes. Let's do it. Testing. Testing. Joshua test. Testing. Testing. We just got back from karate and ate donuts. (laughs) They were really good. Okay, also, like, I don't even know if I'm going to leave this, but something, my book has a typo in it. Look at this, page 28. Hold on, we'll get there. Okay, see how it says the Telltale Heart at the top? I do. Story title at the top of the page. Wow. Instead of the actual story title, it's a typo. Is this worth money? I mean, maybe. I don't know. I mean, this could go it's like probably like a $10 book, but like maybe. It actually was $9.95 in the year. um, There's no year. There's no year in this. Well, whenever this was written, it was nine. It, it was nine ninety five. I had a bunch of these. Uh, they're called great illustrated classics books. Yeah, but I bet that you could probably net yourself a nickel for that one. Okay, so our outtakes are officially already five minutes long. Was a necessary escape for <laughs> the whole week before the murder at. Did Allie just run in here or was that the dogs? Allie ran in here and brought us a plate. An empty plate. This is parenthood. You just get the empty plate. You don't get the food. Anyways, uh, he came in even more cautiously. That's not even what my notes say. (laughs) 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 Okay. That night, he pretentiously was thinking about how clever he was. And does this remind you of anyone, Josh? This is supposed to remind me of. The pretentiously thinking about how clever he was. That was you like 10 minutes ago when you're... I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, it's all going out to you anyway. Can you demonstrate that for me? Okay, so something like a lovesick moose. <laughs> don't even bring the moose into this. You just want me to put the sound effect. It's <laughs> out one yell before he's pulled to the ground. We had to take a 10 second pause there. That one got me. Also, side note, um, I was watching Buried in the House, which is a version of Buried in the Backyard, and the stepdad killed this kid and buried him in the kitchen under the floorboards and told the whole family a snake got loose and died, and that's why it smelled bad. That's pretty bad. And uh, for those of you that need context, this is just a true crime show. That I get up at 6 o'clock every morning to watch by myself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, where were we? Floorboards. All is getting cut. Sorry, future Captain Book. Okay. So, floorboards. Decompose the body. Okay. So, anyways. Then here's a knock at the door. It's morning now. Thank you. (laughs) One less thing for me to insert. Okay. (laughs)
That's getting cut for show. Okay, this is a kid's show. Okay, okay, we got two more stories to get through, and it's bedtime. Four, four, two, NATO. It's like a tornado, but it's a four. It's like four tornadoes. It's an F four tornado. Okay, so how do you say it? Fortunato? No, for Fortunato? No. Fortunato. I'm saying Fortunato. I can't. Fortune. He's fortunate. I don't know. I'm so upset. Forty. For whatever. Fortunato. No, 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 no. Forty was. I can't take it seriously because I'm calling him Forty. Like Monty's okay. These are my favorite nicknames for any characters. Monty's you've ever a done. real name. Okay. I'm on pause so Josh can get Allie some mints. Junior variety. Okay. <laughs> The House of Usher. Who's is the, the home, home of? Who is? Who's, I don't know. The House of Usher <laughs> is the home of Roderick Usher. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and by the way, the fact that you use the voice thing on this just make way more sense. <laughs> so he explains that <laughs> that he doesn't. And therefore, I want to apologize for any snarky comments I've made. <laughs> I use, and then it typed. I didn't do the typing. So eh, technology. Autocorrect, am I right? So, as I make the, uh... She killed... Okay. And by the way, every time I do an episode with you, there are certain times where I feel like I'm, like, the guy that's doing the announcing at the Scripps <laughs> National Scout Belly Me. Oh, yeah. Indubitably. Banana. <laughs> oh, that's a psych reference. Okay. Uh, my name's Ellie, and thank you for listening to my mom and dad.